bronze altar. Exodus chapter 27. And we read just the first seven or eight verses. And thou shalt make an altar of shittim or acacia wood, five cubits long and five cubits broad. The altar shall be four square, and the height thereof shall be three cubits. And thou shalt make the horns of it upon the four corners thereof. His horns shall be of the same. And thou shalt overlay it with brass or bronze. And thou shalt put his pans to receive his ashes and his shovels and his basins and his flesh hooks and his fire pans. All the vessels thereof thou shalt make of brass. And thou shalt make it for a grate of network of brass. And upon the net shalt thou make four brazen rings in the four corners thereof. And thou shalt put it under the compass of the altar beneath that the net may be even in the midst of the altar. And thou shalt make staves for the altar, staves of shittim wood, and overlay it with brass. And the staves shall be put into the rings, and the staves shall be upon the two sides of the altar to bear it. Hollow with board shalt thou make it. As it was showed thee in the mount, so shalt thou make it. That's a very important verse, that last bit. Moses was to do everything as the way God showed him how to do it. And here we have a, des a description of the brazen altar, the bronze altar, which stood immediately inside the surround of the tabernacle. Now, for those of you who haven't been here, we have started looking uh, at the tabernacle, not in great depth as we keep saying, because we probably wouldn't be capable of doing it in great depth. But, uh, I, I know men have gone on for months talking about the tabernacle and various aspects of the tabernacle. But we, we, we don't want to do that. We want to try and pick out, because every aspect of the tabernacle points in some way to the Lord Jesus Christ. We can see Christ in so many aspects of the tabernacle. And here was the tabernacle in the wilderness. And this here is the altar uh, we're talking about this morning just inside the gate and the first thing that you sort of came to when you were an Israelite coming through that gate was this bronze altar you know this was a new type of experience for the people up until now they hadn't got an altar like this if you look back at Exodus chapter 20 you'll see that God had instructed Moses how to have altars and there were specific details in relation to altars Exodus 20 and verse 24 and 25 we looked at this some time ago an altar of earth shalt thou make unto me and shall sacrifice thereon thy burnt offerings and thy peace offerings thy sheep and thine oxen in all places where I record my name I will come unto thee and I will bless thee that was a wonderful promise wasn't it that God gave wherever they were God would be there if they worshipped correctly. And if thou shalt make an altar of stone, thou shalt not build it of hewn stone. For if thou lift up thy tool upon it, thou hast polluted it. This was to point to the picture, really, that we weren't to elaborate. They weren't to make fancy altars. They weren't to 
try and elaborate the stonework. They were doing it out of unhewn stone. So different from the altars we see these days and our so-called altars we see in churches and chapels and in, in, in various places throughout the world. They're ornate marble with gold and silver and uh, all decorated. But you see, it was pointing out the fact that when we come to worship the Lord, we come not with anything of self. Nothing of self can go into it. They weren't allowed to elaborate the, the, the stonework, pointing to the fact that it is not of works. We cannot please God when we are sinners. We, our righteousness is as filthy rags in the sight. And therefore, this picture of the altar was a picture of plainness. Don't lift up any tool on it. What does the hymn say? Of course, you know, we shouldn't have altars in churches now. We used to sing, no blood, no altar now, the sacrifice is o'er. No flame, no smoke ascends on high. The lamb is slain no more, for richer blood has flown from nobler veins to cleanse, to rid the soul of guilt and cleanse the reddest stains. No blood, no altar now. The sacrifice is all. We shouldn't have altars in churches. Let's have a look at what this altar looked a bit like. As we say, when they, when they came in, the first thing they saw when they came in through those gates was this big altar. And this is not, this is just somebody's opinion of what it looked like. It looks something like that, presumably. You had the surround and you had the, the mesh in the center that on which the sacrifice was, was placed. And you see, this had to be prefabricated. It had to be mobile because, as we said last week, sometimes the, the, the Israelites stayed in a particular place for a very, very short time. I think there was one occasion when they arrived and went on the same day. I'm not, uh, I'm not terribly sure about that. But you know, on occasions, they, they stayed for a particularly short time. And there is, the, the staves were apparently through that, and then that went on top of it. And the whole thing was mobile. And these are the, those little points sticking up of what were called the horns of the altar. The horns of the altar. And we'll be talking about that a little bit further on. You know, this represented, and as I was saying, each aspect, each article, in some way represented or pointed to some aspect of the Lord Jesus Christ. This represented the Lord Jesus Christ. How did it represent it? In his office as a priest, it was a picture of him because the priest made the sacrifice on the altar. His human nature was the sacrifice. And his divine nature is the altar. We have, he is the altar. Believers can come to him and feed on him. In, let's look at Hebrews, Hebrews 13. It's an interesting verse here. <clears throat> Hebrews 13, verse 13, and from verse 10 to 13. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat 
which serve the tabernacle. We have an altar for the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp, wherefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered without the gate. Christ himself, he is the altar, he is the sacrifice, and he is the priest. Each aspect of the sacrifice which was done on behalf of the Israelite that came, Christ was in it completely. He was the priest, he was the one who performed the sacrifice, he was the sacrifice, and he was the altar. They're all pictures of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was typified by the altar of the burnt offering and the sacrifice that was offered on it. The altar was made of shittim wood, acacia wood. It was a wood which was easily obtainable in that part of the country. The wood spoke of Christ's humanity. It was made of wood and then it was overlaid with brass or bronze. And as I said last week, I was reading where they had discovered a door which was made in this fashion and it was completely fireproof. Amazing. We just said, why put wood inside it? But this, this wood spoke of Christ's humanity. And then the overlay covered with bronze denoting his incorruptibleness. It spoke of his duration. It spoke of his strength. And they were combined in Christ. There were four horns that stuck up on the top of the altar. And you know, these spoke of refuge. There are two stories, there are a few stories in the Bible, but there are stories of people who, when they were being pursued, went into the tabernacle and, and hung on to the horns of the altar. It was a place of refuge where they could go and presumably they were safe. There's one story of Adonijah. He was uh, a son of David. He was probably the oldest son of David living at the particular time. And uh, he, he set himself up as king. David was an old man. It's in First Kings 1, I think it is. The, the story, you read it when you go home. It's an interesting story. But he set him up as king. And David had promised to Bathsheba that Solomon would be king. And Solomon was a bit annoyed. And when Nathan appointed Solomon king, Adonijah got a bit scared. And he, what did he do? He went into the tabernacle. And he hung on to the horns of the altar. And it was told Solomon that this man who was trying to usurp him was at the horns of the altar. And at that particular time, Jonathan forgave him. And he was released. He was free. He was saved. Joab, on the other hand, Joab, who had been uh, uh, King David's right-hand man, he had plugged for Adonijah. And he tried the same thing, but it didn't work with him. He was killed. And later on, incidentally, Adonijah was killed. But that was a place of refuge where people could go and hang on. And you know, we can go to Christ for refuge. We'll find refuge in him. He is the one that we can go to for our refuge. He is the refuge for his people. The people come 
another way you can look at it is coming from the four corners of the earth. Christ's love and Christ's message goes out to all mankind. All who believe in him may lay hold on him and are preserved and protected by his power and by his grace. The use of the altar was for sacrifice to be offered on it. That was obvious. Otherwise, there's no point in having it. And who, what was offered on it? A male lamb without blemish, and it was wholly burnt with fire, which went up as a sweet savor to God. And we, we looked at the story of this little Israelite coming and coming down and walking along the side of the outside of the, the, the tabernacle, in and through the gate, being met by the priest. He had a little lamb with him. The lamb had to die because the man had sinned. And the priest took the, the lamb and he put it on the altar. And that man was freed from the sin in his life. But it looked as a picture. It was only a picture of what the Lord Jesus Christ would do when he came, the lamb of God. There was only this one altar here for the people, for the common people coming in. They had to come to that altar. And there's only one altar we can go to, the Lord Jesus Christ, for our refuge, for our peace, for our salvation. It's all true. All these things which apply to this altar and to the sacrifice and to the priest, they all apply to the Lord Jesus Christ. an interesting thing there it says for the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin burned without the camp we were looking we've been looking at the tabernacle from the point of the average Israelite going into it but you know there is a, an interesting thing and it's just worth mentioning when when a priest who was anointed sinned there was a different procedure for a priest as distinct from um, uh, the ordinary Israelite. When, when, uh, an Israel, when a priest sinned, he had to bring a sacrifice of a bullock. And the blood was shed at this altar, but then the blood was sprinkled on the golden altar, which was within the, the holy place. And then the bullock was taken outside the camp and burned. It was a different procedure. You can read it when you go home in Leviticus chapter 4 and verse 12. It says that the whole animal was taken outside the camp and burned. And so, when Christ died, who was our priest, he was taken outside the camp and crucified. And that's what it means here in Hebrews when it says, Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the camp. And we must suffer with him, it says, not in his vicarious sufferings, but we suffer with him the reproach. Paul talks about the reproach of Christ, the gospel. Let us therefore go forth unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. The writer to the Hebrews and Paul in his epistles talks about the, the reproach of the gospel. You know that verse which says, beware when all men speak well of you. <laughs> because if we're 
there is an antagonism. You don't go looking for it, but unfortunately, there is an antagonism against the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we are encouraged to go outside the camp, bearing the reproach that comes with being a Christian and standing up for Jesus. You know, I thought the most important bit, uh, not the most important bit, but a, a, a very interesting portion of that bit we read, uh, where it said, make them after the pattern which was shown you. There's no room for man's ideas in the worship of God. We have to come before God the way God has presented it, the way we are instructed. You know, Moses and the, the craftsmen, when they were making this, might have said, well, it'd be an idea to, to, to make it a little bit longer or a bit shorter, or it's going to be very heavy to carry. Surely we could make it a bit smaller. No, they had to make it according to the way God had shown them. It's just, a, it's just a little parable for us, isn't it? Let us do things the way God has shown us in his word and not deviate from it. Let's go back to the Israelite we saw last week as he approached the altar. He'd come in and he had brought his lamb and he had seen his little lamb being slain. And in Leviticus 4, in verse 29, it says, And ye shall he shall lay his hand upon the head of the sin offering, and we said this last week, and shall slay the sin offering in the place of the burnt offering, and the priest shall take the blood thereof with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of the burnt offering and shall pour out the blood thereof at the bottom of the altar and the blood was poured out and went into the, the sand of the desert and shall take of the fat thereof and the fat is taken away from off the sacrifice of the peace offering and the peace shall burn the priest shall burn it for a sweet savour unto the Lord And the priest, and this is the important bit, the priest shall make an atonement for him and it shall be forgiven him. That's in Leviticus. The priest shall make an atonement for him and it shall be forgiven him. And the priest shall take the slain lamb and he places it on the altar and the man watches as the lamb is burned up stands back and he sees the lamb dying in his place. Such a wonderful picture of the lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. The, the, the altar was square. Five cubits by five cubits. Five in scripture apparently is the figure of responsibility. There were five commandments a responsibility to God and five commandments over responsibility to men. And throughout scripture you'll see if you look through do it, I had a look at a book last night, there are lots of fives. Five is man's accountability to God. And only those who acknowledge the fact that we are accountable to God and come to the cross 
to one, to the one who only could make atonement for your sin and my sin. We have to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. We already mentioned it has got four sides, the four corners of the earth. It's a picture of the, the, the fact that God's love and God's salvation is available to all. It was a big altar. It was huge. It was carried around. And it was three cubits high, pointing to the fact that the, 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 the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were all involved in our salvation. The Father gave the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ gave himself, and the, he, uh, Christ offered himself through the Spirit, through the eternal Spirit, it says in Hebrews 9 and verse 14. As we said, the wood of the altar spoke of Christ's humanity and the brass, the power of Christ to withstand the wrath of God. You know, man cannot withstand or could not withstand the wrath of God. There's no way. We are under a death sentence. The wrath of God is upon us. Jesus said, those who are outside of Christ the wrath of God still abides upon them. It's a, it's a dreadful thought, it's a horrific thought that those who are not saved, the wrath of God abides on them. And they cannot withstand that wrath of God. And they will suffer eternal punishment. But those who are in Christ, Christ has withstood the wrath of God. The bronze speaks of the fact that he is durable and he has withstood the wrath of God on our behalf. There's an interesting story actually in Numbers. Numbers 16. There was a rebellion. There's a man called Korah and he rebelled against Moses and a lot of the princes went with him. And Moses prayed about it and God told him withstand against them and it came to pass as he had made an end of speaking he, 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 he stood up to them and in verse 31 it came to an end of speaking all these words that the ground cleaved asunder that was under them and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up and their houses and all the men that appertained unto Korah and all their goods. What an amazing thing. We've seen this earthquake happening in, um, not the earthquake, the uh, eruption of the volcano in uh, Goma recently. And this was a phenomenon that God did to these people. The ground opened and they all disappeared. They and all that appertained to them went down alive into the pit and the earth closed upon them and they perished among the congregation. And all Israel that were round about them fled. You can imagine it. You can imagine it. The ground opening. Opening and closing Israel. The rest of them cried and fled. Lest the earth swallow it up, us up as well. And there came out fire from the Lord and consumed them. It was all, there was fire, there was an opening of the ground. The whole thing was amazing. The 250 men that offered incense, they had their incense, their censers with them. 
And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Eliezer, the son of the Aaron, the high priest, that he take up the censers out of the burning. And this is just a picture. The wrath of God came, but the censers that were made of brass and bronze didn't burn. The people were consumed, but the censers made of brass remained. They said, gather up those censers. They made a covering for the altar. Just a picture of the durability of the brass. Same as this here. It's a picture of the durability of the brass that could withstand the fire and wrath of God when the lambs were being burned up in the altar. Our God is a consuming fire. We deserve the judgment of God, but like the Israelites, a lamb has been slain, the lamb of God. He was made sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The blood on the horns, they put the blood on the horns, it reminded the Israelites standing there of the abundance and the extent of the forgiveness which he had. Our God saves to the uttermost, doesn't he? All that come unto God by him. Our little man, he grabs the priest and he says, what happens if I sin tomorrow? What then? You must come back. You must come back. Then the priest points out, you know, and we just touched on this last week, I have to keep on offering the same sacrifice time and time again. He says, do you not get tired? Do you not take a seat? He says, there are no seats. There are no seats in the tabernacle. Nowhere. There were no seats. Hebrews 10. And every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering often the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. No rest. No sitting down. That fire in the, in the altar burned continually all the time. It never went out. Never went out. It burned continually. Because there were those people needed access to God at any time. And this was the only access they had through the priest and through that altar. And the priest stood there daily offering and offering and offering the same sacrifice for sin. But then, this is the wonderful thing, in Hebrews, if you look on, it says, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice, for sin forever sat down. One sacrifice for sins forever sat down at the right hand of the majesty. And our Lord offered, has offered one sacrifice for sins forever. And he has sat down at the right hand of God. 
that wonderful? When Jesus Christ cried, it is finished, our work of salvation was complete. It was finished. One sacrifice for sins forever. And that's why the doctrine of the Mass and these other evil doctrines are so wrong. There's no altar in a church today. No blood, no altar now. The sacrifice is o'er. No flame, no smoke ascends on high. The lamb is slain no more, for richer blood has flowed from nobler veins to rid the soul of guilt and cleanse the reddest stains. Jesus Christ has sat down. And he is our priest. He is our great high priest. And we are priests. Each one of us are priests. And we can come to God through our great high priest. That's why we don't need a priestly caste now. It's not necessary. We have access into God's presence through the Lamb that has been slain. You know, we were talking beforehand and I was thinking about this this morning actually. I was listening to a bit of a service and they were praying for those souls that had departed that they would be comforted and, and, and things like that. Praying for the dead. And it, it, it just struck me the fact that we, so many people do not have the assurance of salvation. As regards praying for the dead, where do these people think they are? If they're praying for them, I, I just don't understand it. But John 20, we're talking about being born again. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And how the, the term born again has been usurped by so many people that it's become a word, which, a, a phrase which people deride. But Jesus said it, we must be born again. And if he said it, we must sit up and take note. But John wrote for a very specific reason. And you look at verse 31, he says, These things are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. The assurance of salvation is there. John says, I want you, I've written all these things. He was in his, it was in his uh, uh, gospel that it says, behold the Lamb of God. And he, Jesus speaks in, at the end of John about feeding my sheep and feeding my lambs. And Jesus, it's in John that Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And it's all about sheep. John's gospel, lambs. But he said, I've written all this so that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. That's the way we can have life, eternal life, is by believing. And then he was thinking about this again. And when he was writing his epistle in 1 John chapter 5, he's thinking about what he said in the gospel. And he wants to reinforce it. And he says again, 
these things have I written unto you that believe. He wrote the gospel so that you would know that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and, and by believing in him you might have life. And now he's writing to those people that have exercised that faith and trust and he says, these things I have written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye might know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Oh, if you trust him, he's saying, you will have eternal life. And now he says, I want to reinforce that. I want to tell you, you know that you have eternal life and that life is in the name of the Son of God and by faith and trust in him. And so we move on next week to the next stage uh, that a man sees when he comes into the uh, enclosure of the tabernacle, the laver. And we leave the altar. But as we said last week, there's a progression. First of all, the person coming into uh, the Israelite living outside here, he had to realize that he had sinned. He had to realize that he needed a substitute to bring to the altar. And he had to realize that that substitute had to bear the wrath of God that was due to him. What a wonderful picture, as we said again, but we can't say it often enough, of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you and for me, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world.